0: This is the MK Sports Around the World podcast. I am Matt Kretze, founder of MK Sports and Entertainment, LLC, and I represent athletes and coaches, uh, mainly in the world of basketball, but I do represent one female golfer. Her name is Allie White, and she will be the first guest of the podcast tonight. The goal of my podcast will be to get a glimpse into the lives of the many athletes I represent around the world, uh, hearing about their experiences playing overseas and in the USA, and just uh, get an overall picture of the lives of a professional athlete. Okay, Allie White is a native of Lancaster, Ohio, currently lives in Athens, Ohio. She played golf at the University of North Carolina and won the 2009 Ohio State Amateur made the cut at the 2009 U.S. Women's Open at only 19 years old, and has victories at the 2016 Ohio Women's Open and the 2018 Maryland Women's Open. She has two LPGA Symmetra Tour Top 10s and three LPGA Tour starts. On National Women's Golf Day, I thought it would be appropriate to interview for my first podcast, Allie White, and Allie is in Colorado now, currently playing in the Colorado Women's Open day one today. She did very well. Minus two and she's in the mix. Allie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey Matt, thanks so much for having me on. Nice to be talking to you.
0: You too. How, how are you feeling today?
1: Um, I was hitting the golf ball really well today so I was happy about that. You know, made a lot of good strokes. It's, it's beautiful out here in Colorado. It's hot. But yeah, just happy to be back to This is my first tournament back since everything.
0: So when nice do you tee off tomorrow?
1: We play at 1230.
0: Well, good. Well, yeah. Best of luck tomorrow. Um, I just wanted to take a little time and uh, go through your, your background and your career as a golfer. I think a lot of the listeners would be interested in, in hearing about how you got started in the game. You're from Lancaster, Ohio. Can you, uh, Tell us a little bit about how you were introduced to golf.
1: Yeah, Lancaster. We we call that L-Town down here. Um, I started playing golf with my parents because they were both kind of learning the game later in life. Uh, my dad, when growing up, kind of thought the game was a little too... His family played, but he thought it was too preppy for him. He was a wrestler. And um, then he got older and he got into it. And so... My parents didn't want to buy a babysitter, so I went along. Um, But I can remember we watched a lot of uh, pro golf tournaments on TV, and I can remember watching the TV and just being like, oh, my gosh, those guys and gals are the coolest. Like, I got to do that. So it was kind of the combination of those two factors.
0: How old do you think you were when you started?
1: Uh, I think it was six.
0: Six? Yeah. And you were watching – pro-golf tournaments on TV even that young?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was probably, it was a toss-up between tennis and golf. We watched a lot of Wimbledon, and I thought either way, that would be great if you want to be a tennis player or a golfer. That's the life. You know? did, you
0: play, did you play both?
1: I did. I played tennis all the way, yeah, through senior year of high school.
0: And your mom was a tennis player too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my mom played at Ohio State, and I think we were more of a tennis family. And then I kind of got us more into golf. And so I feel like golf's kind of moved in. And now, honestly, I've been shoved aside for pickleball. My mom is an extreme pickleball player. So my sister's into it now, too. And yeah, I've just been kind of now I'm just the lone golfer, really.
0: Yeah. Well, you can get into pickleball later in life.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right.
0: Did you have uh, any kind of instruction from professionals growing up or was it just kind of finding your own way early on?
1: Yeah. You know, I feel like I've had so many people just add little tidbits. Um, When I was young, there was a guy named Joe Cardenas that he had played in U S opens and stuff. He's, he's still around. He's about 80 now. Um, And he just helped me a lot as a kid. And then actually over in Chillicothe, Kathy Cook, who's John Cook's sister. He was a big-time pro out of Ohio. Sure. I still do the quarter drill that she used to have me do as a little kid. And then when I was in high school, I found Kelly Morrow over at Eagle Sticks. Who's, he still looks at my swing, and he's just fantastic with golf swings. And uh, and then as I went on to college, I had, you know, the college golf coaches all all – three of them plus two assistants that I had were all, you know, very significant impacts in my game, particularly Sally Austin was, you know, my go-to woman in college, so.
0: So when you were younger, did you have success at an early age? Were you playing in tournaments regionally and, and doing well?
1: You know, the first story that pops into my mind being younger and playing is I was like eight and I came up to play in the Helen Nicholas Jr. Tournament. And um, I was like in the 12-and-under division or something like that. And we got to that hole that's got the pond. And This, I is, at, play, this is
0: at Muirfield Village?
1: This is at Muirfield Village. We got to play nine holes. It was awesome. We were teeing off from the front of the fairway. And I got to this hole, like number four or something. I don't know Muirfield very well, but it's got a pond. And like I just took it. I watched everybody dunking it into the pond, you know, and getting their max score. And I just took it like into the trees around the pond, you know, and I just dinked it around the trees. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, I was real competitive as a kid. I was all about that score. And I did, I did pretty well. I played a lot of, I won a lot of junior golf tournaments. Young. Yeah. Did
0: did they have that, uh, what is it like AJ, what is that American junior golf association? Did yeah. They, you were yeah. In that? I got
1: into those, like, I think, I don't know, maybe eighth or ninth grade. And um, I ended up doing maybe four or four of those a year, I'd say. And I ended up, I I was able to play on like the the team that, you know, the East plays the West every year. And so I got to play with like Lexi Thompson and Jordan Spieth was there one year. So that was a really nice junior experience. Yeah.
0: Well, tell us about you, uh, you grew up on kind of a, a small farm, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. T-
0: tell so, us about the, the farming background.
1: Yeah, we were just on the outskirts of Lancaster and, um, we have 88 acres. My dad, uh, raised his, raises his own sheep. So growing up, we had like a hundred and then he kind of took a break from it. He also, cause he, he works, you know, his occupation was to be an editor of the Ohio farmer magazine. And then my mom was a teacher. So, you know, he took a little break from the sheep to breathe for a minute. <laughs> yeah. When I was in high school, it's so kind of more to help me travel around, but he has sheep again now, so I've definitely done some farm things, you know. It was a good a lot of just a lot of work with your hands, you know, which is great.
0: That's good. And you good. can always hit balls on 88 acres if you want to work on your game.
1: Oh, yeah. You just go right outside the barn. I just did it the other day because, you know, there haven't been any driving ranges open and I, I had gotten a new driver. And, yeah, I just took it to the pasture and laid down the bucket of scrap balls and just knocked them up there. It was, it was great.
0: Now, Lancaster and where you grew up, kind of a rural area, right? Was yeah. It, were you treated any differently coming into country clubs and playing this this uh, golf country club sport
1: um you know the the thing I remember was always the kids from Columbus would come down and the golf course that I actually work there a little bit now um and i worked there as a kid it's on a you know Valley View's got you know cornfields and cows right next to the golf course and they were always like oh my gosh you know I haven't seen a cow in the longest time like it's right there you know (laughs) (laughs) and we're all like well yeah it's a cow like haven't you seen a cow before (laughs) but um no I think everybody's pretty nice I mean Lancaster more than anything is it's just gets a little bit of the like somewhat blue collar feel but I've I've kind of learned from you know my time in Athens you know being right next to sort of Appalachia and then like on the contrary, being down in some of the maybe wealthier places in North Carolina, like everybody's always got their somebody, you know, like. Sure. The people down in Athens are like, oh, those people in Lancaster, they're such snobs with their target and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the people in Lancaster are like, oh, Pickerington, man. They just, they think they have it all, you know. And yeah. Pickerington's like, oh, Dublin. So anyway, it's just. It's all uh, the same. It's all the same, you know, somebody, you gotta, you gotta be something, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Golf is an equalizer. If you do well on the golf course, that's what people pay attention to.
1: Yeah. Thank goodness. You know, that's, that's, that's a really cool thing about it. I think like most things, when people really get to know each other, you know, they find out that they have a lot of things that they like about each other, you know? Yeah.
0: More in common than different. Yeah. So tell me about your high school success.
1: I, man, I... Played a lot of matches. I don't know. I don't know if I ever lost a, a nine-hole match. And the the times that I lost, were at the state tournament freshman year. I finished fourth, and sophomore year, I finished third. And then it wasn't there wasn't too many other times. So, see, junior and senior year, I was I won. And we weren't always playing like you know we we stuck in Columbus, so it's not like we faced any of the Cincinnati schools, which were really good. But, yeah, it was really – it was a lot of good stuff.
0: As an individual, you were undefeated your junior and senior year. You won state titles, right?
1: Yeah, I think that – I think I was. I, I might have, like, had a tie or two for a nine-hole match. And I'm trying to think if I was second at maybe sectional or districts or one of them. But it it was pretty close to undefeated, I think.
0: Then how was your team overall?
1: We <laughs> – we never made it out of the first rounds. So we never made it out of sectionals to get to districts. My, I had a teammate that went to play golf at South Carolina that would go shoot, like, somewhere around 75, and I'd be shooting pretty close to that or better than that. You know, she might do better than that. And then our next people would come in with, like, 110.
0: Are you serious?
1: 15. <laughs> Yeah, in the one year like we were gonna make it and all the girl had to do was shoot an eight on the last hole and we had it in the bag and she gets to the ravine at Groveport and she just starts chunking balls into the ravine. This is like my really good friend. We're still friends. She's a very successful lawyer now. Good. Which, yeah, <laughs> then she starts launching them into the parking lot. And I think she took like a 20. She took a 20 on the last hole. And then, lo and behold, you know, had the, the coach in, in high school is not allowed to talk to the player, but had they been able to talk, they could have told her that there was a drop area, regardless of where you hit in the ravine, on the other side of the ravine.
0: Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> she never knew.
1: She never knew. And it that, was the best, funniest 20 I've ever – it was just – we laugh about it. All and the
0: time. That, that was to advance to – the state tournament?
1: That, no, that was that was just to get out of sectionals to go to district.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So you do really well in high school individually, and then what uh, schools were interested in you then?
1: Um, so I was looking at. I think I had it narrowed down to like. So my dad went to Stanford, so that was high on the list. And then you know I was feeling that California vibe, so I was looking at Cal and i had uh north carolina and ohio state and that was pretty much those were my big four okay and stanford did not have any scholarship money so i was like well you know that's fifty thousand dollars that is not happening um that i don't want to do um and then cal just i went to visit and it was just too city for me and i just Kind of fell in love with North Carolina, and I thought it would be good for me to go somewhere new. And so, yeah. And they had a they had a scholarship, and I went for it.
0: And how how did uh, first year go?
1: It went pretty. It was awful. I was terrible. Were you really? (laughs) I mean, mentally. I mean, I was really good at golf, but yeah, I think. I think things had been, I think golf had been easy for me in high school, and I had had a lot of friends. And then I went to a place where nobody knew my name, and I didn't really know myself very well. And I was just feeling anxious. And it was just, I just, freshman year was miserable. I, For no good reason either. It's not like I have any, like, tragic story or anything. I just was having some mental, probably mental health issues, really. Yeah, like, stress. Yeah, just, you know trying to figure life out and myself out and all those things. So I think some people transition a little better and I was not.
0: But you were able to perform pretty well in the golf course?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, golf made sense. I had, you know, that was a great place to be. I think I ended up with, yeah, the low stroke average for my team freshman year. That was, that was all good.
0: Was it a good team?
1: Yeah, we were, we were the best in, we finished the NCAA best that Carolina's ever done. So we were seventh that year.
0: Nice. And then sophomore year, it rolls around.
1: Sophomore year, I go back to Ohio State because I thought I could be better there. Um, and then, yeah, I was just still a bit of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that, yeah. I'm did still you... friends with my teammates that from that year at Ohio, or that quarter, I made it a quarter at Ohio State. Okay.
0: So did you ever um, play in a round?
1: I did, I did. I played the whole fall season. Okay. And I played really good golf again. Um but yeah, I'm sure I was just a pain in the neck for the coaches and yeah, just a just really anxious and still not quite doing all right. And so then I figured, well, you know, I was doing better at Carolina, so I think I wasn't under a scholarship at Ohio State. So I didn't feel like I was like I already felt like I had messed up with my teammates back in Carolina, like I had done them wrong, kind of. And then
0: at
1: Ohio State, I was just, yeah, I felt really bad about leaving the way I did. Anyway, I felt like I had to do it. So anyway.
0: Did you go right back to North Carolina or did you sit out that spring semester? I went right
1: back that spring semester. You know, I probably, maybe would have been good to take a lifetime out at that point, but I went back. And that sophomore semester wasn't great either. <laughs> but it it then gets junior better though, it gets better. Year, junior year, I just hit I just found a college stride and I was able I remember having a couple of my teammates like as a senior, when I was a senior, they were like, you know, that they were doing that freshman like, "Well, maybe I should transfer I'm not. This isn't going well. That's not going well." And I was able to give them like the, "Hey, just take a breath and give it some time. Like, the, I didn't listen to anybody giving me that advice when I sure. was that age, but I felt like I was able to relate to them in a decent way, you know.
0: You got um, into a groove your junior and senior year and felt pretty yeah,
1: good. Yeah, yeah. I just got feeling better about myself, and I got some perspective. And, you know, I had a lot of really – everywhere I went, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, I had a lot of really good people around me. And, you know, that was the difference between being somebody that worked through, you know, the growing pains of life versus not was just drop out. Yeah, I had a lot of really nice friends and it was hard. It was hard to find them, you know, but, you know, once I, yeah, I I made efforts to do that too, but, you know, they helped me out a lot.
0: So then you graduate college and what's the plan then?
1: (laughs) I knew that I needed to spend, like, one summer not being a golfer. So I went to California, and I worked at a summer camp, which was really fun. I took kids, like, backpacking and stuff. Then in the middle of summer camp, I was like, yep, I need to go be a pro golfer. Like, it's calling me back. And so I signed up for Q School, kind of somewhat, you know, like – you know, nonchalant fashion, I was like, yeah, I'll just practice for a couple weeks and head to Q school. And so then I didn't make it through stage one of Q school and I didn't have very good status on like the Symmetra tour, but I had a little, you know, for the next year. And I finally got into a tournament in May and then um, May of like 2013. So that was my rookie year on the Symmetra tour. And it was right before they were going to do like a reshuffle, And I played really well, so I got reshuffled to the top. And ever since then, for for the next five years, I kind of kept my Symmetra Tour status.
0: I'm talking with professional golfer Allie White. Allie is sponsored by Easter Seals of Central and Southeast Ohio, as well as the Greater Columbus Pheasants Forever chapter. Allie, explain to the listeners how Q School, the Symmetra Tour, and the LPGA Tour all kind of work together.
1: Q School has three stages. And the first stage is for players that don't have any tour status at all, but you get a lot of college graduates and you'll get players that have lost their symmetric tour status, or you'll maybe get older people or younger people or whatever that just haven't been on tour yet. So like 300 plus people will go out to the 120 degree weather in Palm Springs, California in August, and they'll, take that tournament's golf carts and so then they'll cut it to like around 100 120 and then that group of people will go to stage two and they'll meet um some of the lower end symmetric people and actually the lowest end lpga people these days and then that'll be like another tournament and they'll cut everybody again and so if you make it through all that you go to the third stage which is what they call q series and at q series you know, you'll have all the people that made it through stage one. You'll have some of the best of the Symmetric Tour and whoever made it through stage two. And then you'll have the LPGA outside of 100. And everybody stage three is competing for like LPGA status. So it's always every year, you know, you never make it. It's like every year that you're on tour, you know, you're on the axe for next year whether it's the Symmetra Tour or the, like if you don't finish in the top 80 on the Symmetra Tour, you could be out and back to stage one, you know?
0: Okay. So when did you, after you've played a few years on the Symmetra Tour, when did you decide to go back to get your master's degree?
1: That's, that's a good question. I was, um, so I was, I was living in North Carolina and I think that I just wanted to get back to Ohio a little bit. And then, I had always known that I thought grad school was really cool and might be a good thing for me. So yeah, I just sort of finished one of the seasons and it was like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I need to look into this. I haven't made it onto the LPGA. So I went and emailed the coach at Ohio University and asked if they needed a graduate assistant. And she said that, that the position was opening up and I went and met her and we liked each other. And I was able to get the journalism school to do the tuition wave. So those two things came together. And then I swear to goodness, I like saw a bobcat. I don't know if it was a bobcat or not, but I was hiking and I like, I swear I saw a bobcat.
0: That was was your sign?
1: Yeah, I was like, that's it right
0: there. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that was a two year program.
1: That was a two-year program. I did, like a, I did a semester of volunteering, which I kind of was probably more of a trial period, whether or not my boss was going to like me, you know. But yeah, and then the, the journalism program was two years. And so when I graduated from that, I was, you know, OU does, they sort of have the most, for the most part, they have the finances for a graduate assistant rather than a full-time assistant coach. So I... Decided, yeah, that, yeah, I, I finished. And like, it was kind of either, okay, you're going to go into more coaching or you're going to do a career in journalism. And the whole time I had been doing my master's in the summers, I was playing a couple state opens and I even played like in an LPGA tournament one of the summers that I was coaching. And I was like, you know, I kind of, st- I was like, I feel like I still got it. You know, like, I feel like I'm almost a little better. Like, I coached and I felt like I learned some things and I, feel a little more patient now and a little less distracted maybe I like, got a little less FOMO going on. Yeah. So I was like, I think I need to get back out there and just do this for, you know, another five years or whatever.
0: So that kind of led to your going full-time last year, right? Yeah. Full-time on the Symmetra tour.
1: That's right. Yeah. I had to go back to stage one, which was, cause I hadn't been to stage one in, you know, se- seven years or whatever. And it's stage one's really stressful if you don't make it out of that you really don't get much in the way of status you really don't get to play much and there's a lot of people out there and it's a lot better than it used to be I think some people still think that like women's professional golf is the great players have always been great like Nancy Lopez has always been you know amazing and and those the babe was always you know it was the 50s or whatever but she was amazing but like the depth of women's golf is just so much deeper than it's ever been. And part of that is just, it's so global at this point. If you're like in your small town and you're thinking, well, I haven't seen any women playing golf. Well, just try to imagine that in Asia, it's like the most popular sport for women to do period, you know, and you're, you're, you're taking on every, every country has, especially now that it's an Olympic sport, you know, Countries are really taking it seriously.
0: Well, if you go to a Symmetra Tour event, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's, what, 50%? Something like that is foreign, international?
1: Last year we had 50 different countries that were represented on the Symmetra Tour. Wow. Pretty
0: good. And you, you played a ton of tournaments last year and did fairly well. So going into this year, what kind of expectations did you have, like February going into March when the season was about to start?
1: Well, I was really keen on I really had my eyes set on that top thirty five because you get you go straight to stage three if you can finish in the top thirty five and I just really feel like that is super doable because I I I caddied last year at stage three when I missed it. I missed it by two strokes last year, so I caddied and I saw what was there and I just was like, I could do this, you know, like I could get through stage three. And then it always you're always shooting for a win. You know, like just if you haven't won before, you know, you got to start with one. You can't be like, oh, I'm going to go in 10, you know. Yeah. So for somebody that hasn't won before like me, it's like, you know, that would be pretty magic if you can get it. You know, I've I've shot the low round on the symmetric Tour for a day before. Like I've been in the low round of a given day.
0: And you've had top 10 finishes.
1: And I've had some top 10 finishes, but I've never been – Eat, to string together four rounds that are good enough to win. I just haven't done that. So that would be, those are my two goals. The
0: goals this year, top 35 yeah. and, and get one win. Yeah. So you go down to Florida in March and play a tournament. You find out that the the virus has pretty much canceled the rest of the season or at least postponed it for a significant amount of time. So what, what was the, the thought process there? You had to return back to Athens, right?
1: Yeah. It's, it's like both this tournament that I'm playing now that's going on now at such a tumultuous time it feels strange to be golfing. Um, even that tournament at the beginning of March, just sort of to, the talk about Corona was starting to brew and you were getting a sense of like, oh, this might like this might change things, how it's going to be. So it even felt a little bit weird to be out there then you know there wasn't the same you know excitement and yeah when I got back that first few weeks of it when when DeWine here in Ohio really started to like lay down the you're not doing things it was I know that I was just sort of sleeping in a lot and just kind of like I mean it wasn't I was just kind of mellow um and not super not super motivated to golf or whatever because everything just like immediately was canceled. Yeah. And we were just kinda like, well, yeah, what where's God, I'm such a competition motivated person. And I just got real, you know, untime structured. And I think it turned out personally, like overall, obviously corona's been horrible and has had horrible effects and it's been worse for some people than others. But I think that for me, the unstructured time gave me a second to kind of step back and look at some things differently, and maybe get a little rest, and you know, kind of be forced to see things from different perspectives.
0: And it was, you know, basically still winter when you returned, and a lot of golf courses weren't open, and you couldn't practice, and you couldn't play. Do you right, feel like? I
1: actually, think kind of helped because you were. Yeah, if, it, if the sun had been out, it would have been like, well, this is extra miserable, you know,
0: <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Better to be stuck inside when it's yeah. nasty weather.
1: Yeah, I actually, I, I went fishing a lot. That was my big outlet during Corona, so. Well, good. Yeah.
0: That's good, healthy exercise for you.
1: Yeah, it was far from people, so.
0: Did you feel going. like you were prepared going into Colorado? I mean, you played so well today. Were you able to practice and get, get what you needed in?
1: Yeah, I think I felt a lot better when I, um, I broke my driver at the first tournament, it, the face had started to crack. And then when they mailed in, like when, you know, TaylorMade started and Ping started mailing again, which was just like a month ago. And they mailed it and then it took two weeks to get there. And when I finally got the driver in my hand, I was like, okay, I have a driver to take to Colorado. <laughs> I was like, I feel ready now. Now you,
0: know? you felt ready?
1: Yeah, yeah. And the I've been working a little bit at the golf course, and just going there to just, you know, work a couple days a week, it's really forced me to be there. You know, like I don't have any excuse, so I'll, I'll put in the time. So as I've started playing more, I've felt more and more ready to go, you know. You're good.
0: So yeah, playing, you play. You play Colorado, and then you return home, and then you have a tournament in Michigan at the end of the month?
1: That's right. Yeah, the Michigan Women's Open.
0: And then the Symmetra Tour is supposed to get back on track, what, early July?
1: Uh, actually, July 22nd now. They've okay, knocked 22nd. us down. It'll be you – know, most it will be like 10 tournaments. Um, I think they're like shooting for eight they would feel great about i feel good about, like, five if, if they got five in at this point. So, yeah. But the LPGA starting at the same time that the Symmetra Tour is starting. And that will be really interesting to see because whenever LPGA tournaments don't fill up, they use Symmetra Tour players to fill them up. Okay. And usually Symmetra Tour players don't go because it doesn't count towards our money list and our pursuit to our card on the LPGA. But this year I'm wondering – they're, they we're eligible to do it and I'm just wondering. I just don't know what's going to happen because I, I don't know if LPGA players are not going to want to leave their country, like if they're going to be feeling safe about Corona.
0: So there could be some opportunities be, there.
1: Yeah. Or if they're going to be chewing at the bit to play and there won't be any openings. I just don't know. So I'm trying to keep an open mind to the season Well, good. and just go wherever.
0: So what did you miss the most being home for a few months? and not being out on the Symmetra tour? I mean, was it the the friendships and seeing people that you've, you know, come to know over the years, or was it the actual game of golf or just travel? What, what did you miss the most?
1: I think it was definitely the friendships, I'd say, out here on tour. And I'm, um, like, even, like, I mean, probably a com- combination between the friendships and, like, the way competition gets your blood pumping. You know, you can't get that just from playing nine holes with your buddy or whatever, it's just not the same kind of nerves. It feels really good to execute a shot when you're nervous, you know, and and there's pressure. But um, I will say, like, this week I I still miss my friends because, you know, we're only supposed to go start practicing and get to the course an hour before our tee times. We're not supposed to practice afterwards. You know, it's wear a mask, take your box, lunch, go home. So I just haven't really like, you know, the Denver here, I mean, some of the inside of restaurants are starting to open, but it's, it's the feel is very strict about the Corona. Yeah. I just don't feel like, I mean, I've seen my friends for two seconds at the driving range enough to say hello, but I don't feel like I've gotten to have a beer with them and really know how they're doing. Like I normally would, which yeah, I I definitely I like I still miss them. I'm here, but I, I feel like I still miss them. You know. So it
0: doesn't doesn't really feel like a, a regular tournament.
1: No, it it feels it feels really different.
0: You told me that you can have a caddy and one fan. Yeah. So it's the course is kind of sparse, I would assume.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a little yeah. There's no. <laughs> I got to laughing because you know they've been talking so much about you know, the baseball players playing in front of the empty stadiums. Like, is it going to be the same? And, you know, if you've ever been to a Symmetra Tour event, like, me might. If you're just going off at 7 in the morning and you're in the middle of Kansas, like, you're not going to get anybody to watch you play all day anyway. And so I'm like, well, welcome to my life, baseball players. Like, I make the magic happen without fans all the time. Y'all can toughen up. Like, at least you get the TV, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting <laughs> to see what happens with that. I, I did wake up this morning at 6 and turn on ESPN, and the, the Korean Baseball League had about 500 stuffed animals in the seats behind home plate. With
1: the, with the cutouts and all that Yeah, stuff.
0: cutouts like, and stuffed thing? animals. I thought that was yeah. pretty interesting. Maybe the, the golf could do some uh, mannequins and some cardboard cutouts behind the greens. But yeah. I guess you're not yelling for too much then.
1: No no it's this tournament's been the i would say some of the cool things about it is they're using a flag handler so every green has a person that's taking our flag in and out which is like oh that's super chill you know i could get used to that and then uh, they still have spotters out there
0: and you're in a cart
1: and we're in a cart. the cart is yeah i don't really even know if i'm playing a sport so the cart's making it
0: yeah. <laughs> don't feel real tired tonight.
1: No, I don't feel super wore out. Or, it's hot. It's really hot. It's like 90. Yeah, that definitely takes a factor of uh, fitness out of the game for sure. Well, nice. Well um, It's been pretty chill. It's been pretty lax. I'm not complaining.
0: Well, good. Yeah. I've got some philosophical questions for you kind of here to, to close out this podcast. First one is, what do you love most about the game of golf? What's your favorite thing?
1: So I think that my favorite thing about golf is it's a very, we might've talked about this earlier, but it's a very equalizing sport from a physical perspective. And that you can be short, you can be tall, you can be, you know, any type of looking person, big, skinny from this country, from that country, this heritage, that heritage, just whatever. Young or old young or old, and the combination of power and accuracy just brings so many different types of games. If you, like, you know, and, yeah, the, the, even when it comes to men and women, the guys definitely do hit it farther and with more spin. So there's certain golf courses that, you know, I think 98% of the time a guy's always going to win out there just because the force carries. During corona, like, uh, what was her name? i think she's a anna nordquist there it is she went down and shot a i think a 64 in a men's mini tour event which was the low round of the day Um, so this female pro went out there and and beat like 140 males that day um and i just think that's awesome i don't think any other sport you know like on the right golf course i think the ladies can hang with the men and i think short people can hang with tall people and people that hit it far can hang with people that hit short and etc i just think Golf is really a great combination of factors.
0: That's all true. What about your favorite golf moment from your life?
1: I think, is is it okay if it's a tie? Sure. Probably playing in the U.S. Open in 2009.
0: You were only Uh, 19, right? You made the cut.
1: I was 19. I made the cut. My dad had brought a bunch of Ohio farmer hats. Like People were asking to buy our Ohio farmer hats for like 50 bucks. I had like 20 friends from high school there.
0: That's awesome. It was, and it was, awesome. In, it was in Pennsylvania?
1: It was in Pennsylvania. And then the other one would definitely be walking up the 18th hole at uh, Sedgefield, which is, they used to play, it was a web.com or, you know, Corn ferry tournament now. Yeah. With the ACC championship and just knowing that my team was going to win and being, you know, the last person on the course coming in, getting ready to hold up, you know, the ACC championship that we hadn't won and. 20 years or whatever.
0: Was that your junior or senior year?
1: That was junior year. Junior.
0: Cool. Yeah. How about your funniest golf memory? Something funny from the golf course.
1: I remember, yeah, I, I, uh, our golf team, right before we won ACC tournaments, we went to this other tournament that Georgia was hosting. When we finished last. And they were trying this weird format where all five players on your team played together in the same group which makes no sense. Usually you go play with George's number one and Duke's number one and and you're the number one.
0: You're Um, matched up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're all playing together. All of our family members are watching us. Both our coaches are there on top of us. And uh, my buddy who's on the LPGA now, Catherine Perry, tees it up in the ground. We shotgun start par three over water. She just... She's a really fast player. She just walks up, I'll go first coach. And she proceeds to just chunk it right into the water. And we're all just standing there like, oh my gosh, she's was seven in the morning, she just chunked it. Everybody's watching. Next person blows it over the green by 40 yards. You know, next person like shanks it into the bunker. I hit it to like 10 feet. I go up there and I three putt for a boat. <laughs> <laughs> And I proceed, like that tournament, we proceeded, our one girl had the yips, so I watched her five-putt. Our next girl four-putted the next hole. Our one girl finished the tournament by hitting it into another team's cart. And I actually went out there, and I actually was doing a punch-out, and I went back and I hit a tree on my backswing. And so when I came through, I just totally whiffed. I've never whiffed in a tournament in my entire life. So it was just a complete... And it was like, how did this team win the ACC tournament the next week? Just to, to, oh.
0: You couldn't get away from it because you were all playing together the whole time.
1: <laughs> we, no, it was just like a snow. Like, you were just feeling sorry watching your teammates hit it into the water and just horrible things. And it was the worst. It, we, we thought we were all going to do well because we really liked each other. Like, we got along really well. And then, no, total implosion.
0: All right. So what was your weirdest golf moment on the course?
1: Well, that's a tough one. Um, I, I remember my friend in high school that played at South Carolina when she was, she's a really good golfer, and so I was standing in front of her, not thinking too much about it. I was kind of in the shank zone, and I was sort of kind of hiding behind this really skinny tree. She hits her shot and she's kind of like makes a noise, and I kind of look over and the ball's coming right at me and it just boom, right in the head. And uh, that was pretty weird, because I've never (laughs) been hitting the head with a golf ball before. How how
0: far away were you?
1: Oh, about 15 yards or so. Oh, so
0: really close.
1: Yeah, it was coming. It was right off the hosel. And she was hitting about maybe an 80-yard shot, and she just hoseled the little wedge right into my head.
0: Nice. Well, it's good that you remember that. Most people (laughs) probably wouldn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My memory is, not I didn't kill my short term memory or anything like that. We'll see how I do later in life.
0: Yeah. Well, good. (laughs) I don't see any marks. So that's No. no. Did you you have a hat on?
1: Yeah, I did. It did. The hat did kind of soften. (laughs) Well, good. All
0: right. That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. But what about heroes in golf? Do you have any heroes? Um, Somebody you looked up to it maybe as a kid or even now?
1: I really, coolest stories that I've ever heard I feel like Lorena Ochoa just from what I've heard about her and I haven't bothered to like deeply read a documentary and I've never met her but she I mean she's done so much for the Mexican Golf Federation and then I she just she wasn't a huge person and she could hit it so far she was so dominant and I admire you know, a lot of people put down the women's golfers for being like, hey, we turned 35 and we want to go have kids. And, and she's yeah. like a mountain climber too. But I respect that that's what she wanted to do with her life. And I remember hearing stories where she would like make breakfast for everybody working at the golf tournament. You know, like one of the days of the practice round, she would go in and like bring in food and stuff and make it for all the workers. So
0: just I just – a nice person. Yeah.
1: From what I've heard, yeah, she was like number one in the world and just a incredibly, you know, generous human.
0: Well, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Finally, let's. Uh, everybody always wants to get a good golf tip. Do you have any good golf tips for listeners? Something valuable that, that you've yeah, picked up over really,
1: the years? This is really, really simple. Always aiming, spot target aiming. I'm. Missing the word for right now, but when you go to hit at a shot that's 150 yards away, so you got a seven iron or whatever, you know, look for a dot along your line that's about six inches in front of your ball. So, you know, figure out your line and then find a blade of grass or a leaf or a, you know, different colored grass. And aim at, aim at the thing that's six inches away and not the target that's 150 yards away. Because, like, if you can imagine, it's, it's so much easier to draw a straight line to something that's six inches away versus something that's 150 yards away. Sure. And it'll, it'll, it'll help you aim better, you know. And it, it amazes me how many amateurs don't do that because it's just something every pro does.
0: So is that your last... Is that the last thing you look at before you get set to swing?
1: It's like when you're walking up to the ball and you set your club face down, you set it down to that thing, you know, whatever. It could be two, three, four, five, six inches in front of you. And then once you get that and then you, you know, you get your stance, then you're going to look up at your target. Okay. Because you already know you're aimed right. Then you look at your target and like hopefully – when you're in a really good state of mind, you don't have to have a lot of swing thoughts, and you're just thinking, "I want to hit that target," and then you just let your body take over.
0: Got it. That's a good yeah. one. All right, Allie. Well, thank you so much, and best of luck tomorrow. Hope you great can, uh, you know, get that at least top five finish at the Colorado Women's Open, and That's what I'm talking about. do great things in Michigan at the end of the month. And then fans can uh, look at the Symmetra Tour website and get the schedule, and and however small or large it is, and how you know, how many tournaments you play, but you'll be out there and they can come come find you and say hello.
1: That's right. We would love that. Thank you. Thanks for spending some time with me.
0: Okay. Thanks yeah. again. Talk to you soon.
1: All right. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Okay.
0: I wanted to end tonight's podcast with all the events transpiring in, in Minneapolis and around the country this past week. I've been doing a lot of thinking and reflecting. My heart breaks for the Floyd family. Posting on social media just doesn't seem significant enough and, and not really respectful. Um, I, you know, I don't want to post something that gets stuck between somebody's recipe and some pictures of some college kids on a beach somewhere. So I wanted to share a personal recent story. My seven-year-old daughter read a book about Jackie Robinson early on this past year in first grade and became obsessed with him. Knowing baseball is my first love and that I enjoy talking baseball history. This has become a huge connection for us. She has a jersey she wears with number 42, Jackie Robinson on the back. We've ordered books. We've uh, looked at baseball cards. It's been fantastic. There's a popular kids book written by Brad Meltzer called I Am Jackie Robinson. I bought it for my daughter maybe a year or two ago, but hid it away because some of the racial issues involved in it. You want to protect your kids. I turn the news off when inappropriate things come on like murder, war, um, political things that you just don't want your kids to see. You you don't want to spoil their childhood. You You want things to be perfect. You don't want them to grow up too fast. I don't want her to know that there are different colors of skin just yet. When the Jackie Robinson obsession began, though, I got the book out, and I read it to her numerous times. She asked me to read it to her class as a guest speaker in early March before the pandemic hit. When the day came to go in, I began to worry. There's all these race issues involved, and I'm going to present this to 21st graders who are unaware of what's going on, and they're going to pepper me with questions about it. I really was nervous. The day came, and I read the book. I put it all out there, the name-calling, the pool not open to black kids but only white kids because of their skin color, the death threats Jackie received when he broke down the color barrier, all of it. As I read it, I looked around the room. First of all, the kids were extremely well-behaved and interested. I noticed there were Asian kids. There were a few Indian kids. There were white kids and an African-American child. Their teacher was phenomenal. The way she helped handle the discussion and questions afterwards was amazing. She asked kids thought-provoking questions. I answered as many questions as I could about Jackie Robinson and his life. I remember telling the kids, this all happened 70-plus years ago probably right before your grandparents were born. I think I said this because I wanted them to know this was history and not to be afraid that things were better now in America. Jackie went through hell so those who followed could have opportunities. In some ways, this is true. But after seeing blacks targeted, killed, oppressed, in live videos again and again on TV, there is a long way to go. We have to do better, each and every one of us there is no reason this crap has to still be a part of our lives 75 years after Jackie Robinson. So to close, I want to read the last two pages of this kid's book. I am Jackie Robinson. I will always lead the way and I hope you will too. When others see your example, they'll stand with you. It's the only way the world ever gets changed together. So remember that I'm going to close out this podcast, the first podcast for MK sports around the world. Um, the next one will be basketball related. I've got a lot of phenomenal basketball clients with great stories to tell about their experiences around the world and some new clients that are just out of college that are looking forward to playing professionally overseas. So I hope you'll listen then. Thanks so much. Good night and take care.